Jolan's on his hollybobs. Uh, apparently he's in Boston. He's enjoying watching hockey on a reasonable time zone. So that leaves me figuring out a few interesting things to talk about when it comes to hockey. And I couldn't do it on my own. So I've invited back Stephen Edwards, TalkSport Stephen, because, well... It feels like he's just a friend of the show these days and he knows a thing or two about hockey. How's it going, Steve? Hey, it's going really well. I feel like I'm either a backup netminder or an emergency goalie. (laughs) One of those two, I don't mind. (laughs) Hey, you never know. You might be number one, as they say. We'll see how long Jolon's on his holiday for, hey? Um, Talking of backups, we're going to broach the subject of who is the best backup goalie in the NHL at the moment. You've been sending us some of your comments on our Twitter feed at NHL fans from afar. And we're talking injuries as well, because let's face it, there are plenty of them around at the season uh, in across the teams at the moment. Quite painful, some of them as well, just by the look of them and also the impact it's having on some of your teams. Plus, we're talking surprises. Surprises in how bad Pittsburgh Penguins are. Surprising how Buffalo Sabres are doing so well. Uh, Surprising that a third coach and a fourth coach are out of work with less than 20 games played this season. And we would be surprised if there'll be some move rounds. Where will Joel Quenville be when we look at the end of this season? So let's get cracking. We're also talking Anaheim Ducks as well. And it seems, uh, Stephen, that we've picked a great team for you and I uh, to focus on this week (laughs) because we are delighted to say that uh, I, as a Leafs fan, are happy to talk about Anaheim Ducks because Uh the Leafs beat them in overtime. And it just so happens, Steve, that your team, Colorado Avalanches, also beat the Anaheim Ducks in overtime. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Another Steve. This is going to be tough, isn't it? But we're going to call you Douse because your name is Stephen Dowson. How's it going, Douse? Up until 30 seconds ago, I was having a great time, really enjoying the podcast, really enjoying your work. And now I, just, I feel attacked, if I'm honest. <laughs> hey, look, Steve, we've uh, we've got to enjoy these moments when we get them, haven't we? No, we do. I mean, I think, you know, any time that uh, Colorado can get a, a win against a, a very good duck side, shall we say, um, I, I think we need to enjoy it, but at the moment, Colorado are firing on all cylinders, so we won't give um, Dallas too much of a hard time. <laughs> hey, just catching up with you, Steve. We've um, obviously met you a few episodes ago uh, with regards to Avalanche. How's your season going so far a few weeks on? I think it's um, a bit up and down at times. Uh, I think the scoring, obviously, on the first line has been tremendous. McKinnon, Landeskog and, and Rantanen are just firing goals left right and centre I mean Ranton has got a hell of a load of assists as well but I think at times I think the depth is one of our big issues um, I think you know, we're going to be a playoff team but we're going to be towards the bottom of the Western Conference in terms of, of the rankings there so we're going we're gonna to have a hard time trying to get out of the first round of playoffs if, if we do eventually get there Valarmoff in net is obviously stopping shot after shot he seems though he stops more shots than anyone else um, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things. I think we're, you know, high hopes again for the season. Um, we're certainly going in the right direction after what it's been like over the last couple of years at times. So I'm, I'm really pleased. Not bad, not bad. And Douse, yes. how about the Ducks? How are you feeling right now as a Ducks fan? <sighs> we had a great start. First six games, I thought we looked really, really positive, really, really strong. 
and I was kind of excited because we're still quite away from having a full squad. You know, we've still got some very key injuries to this uh, squad and Cam Newton now looks like he's injured as well and I thought we looked alright um, last six games kind of brings it into doubt a bit we're just not scoring enough uh, just almost the the opposite of what's happening in Colorado at the moment in which I mean I think only the LA Kings and the Western have scored less than us and they're <laughs> not very good at all so um, you know I mean it's great that the LA Kings aren't doing well uh, but uh, yeah I I feel like if there was a fit team there, we have the shell of a good uh, defense. I think we have a great goaltending unit. Um, but I still worry about our offense. I wonder if we're going to score enough goals. Because at the moment, we're flirting with the wildcard spot. And I still think, we're, you know, I mean, there's people already blogging saying, you know, who should we trade away if we're not going to make it this year? And I still, we're one of those teams who always just tends to make it sometimes to our detriment, you know, in terms of draft picks. But I'm hopeful. There you go. I'll say I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I've written down next to Ducks here, injury, inconsistencies, and you're being outshot by teams that you're playing. But hey, yeah. uh, I don't think you're alone in those three categories at the moment. There are plenty of other teams struggling with similar similar problems, aren't they? Tell us about your journey um, into how you became a, a fan in the first place. Okay, well, uh, short story goes like this. I played American football for a lot of my young life uh, through my my dad. He was a big American football fan. And when I went to university, I met with uh, Jonathan Fernley, who ha- has been a guest on this podcast. He's a podcast. Jets fan, yeah. Yes, uh, well, he's a Frashers fan, uh, who then evolved into a Jets fan when they moved. So he's known misery for a very, very long fa- time. Um, and so when me and him worked together in Middlesbrough, he said, you like American sports, come and see a hockey game. So I went to a couple of hockey games and I went, this sport's amazing. Um, and I started following the NHL. You know, you do what you do. You download the NHL game. And I always thought I'd be a Dallas Stars fan. I thought, well, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Therefore, logic dictates I should be a Stars fan. And um, I think I did half a season on NHL. I think it was NHL 04. I had to pick up a, a cheap old version. NHL 04, I got halfway through it. And then I saw the Anaheim Ducks. And my brain Im- immediately went, oh, no, I'm a duck. I must be, because they're amazing. <laughs> and I don't know why. It wasn't even, you know, it was it was the modern Ducks I fell in love with. You know, the, the black and the gold, rather than the the purple, white, and teal monstrosities they wore for most of the 90s, early noughties. No, noughties. I oh, love it's, it's that awful. stuff. It's a, it's, a, it's a dreadful jersey. It really is. It's And, like, you know, there's a lot of kind of people who kind of have a real soft spot for it. And I like the way we as an organization add a little bit to it. You know, every so often we come back to the old logo. I thought the old logo was fantastic. But our color scheme was just all sorts of interesting and not in a good way. <laughs> See, it's the logo that I loved. Because I remember um, back when I was at uni, I used to watch Kevin Smith films um, who did things like yes. Chasing Amy, Clark's yeah, Dogma. Yeah, yeah. And I remember in Dogma, they had the three, the, the triplets, didn't they, who used to be yes, hanging out in the parking lot. And I'm sure that one of them wore an old uh, Mighty Ducks of Anaheim uh, jersey at some point. And that was, for me, the first time I'd ever seen that logo. And I thought, man, that's cool. I'm loving oh, well, that. I, I remember seeing that they were an NHL team and then my brain had this horrible kind of flashback to me playing NHL 98 going, oh, wait, they're that team from the movies. They're an actual team. I thought it was a joke. 
and but still going. But I love the way they played. And then I think I became a Ducks fan at the right time because you know I started becoming a fan just after they won the Stanley Cup. Like the year after they won the Stanley Cup is when I started following them. And you know we had players like Tamu Solani, you know who just when he you know who who really can grip you and drag you into the game and tell you this is what hockey's all about. You know that speed and that skill, and so. And then we had players like Ryan Getzlaff, do you know, and Corey Perry. And you're thinking, it was very easy to fall in love with them. Do you know what I mean? At mm. that time. Mm. You obviously got Cup um, in 2006-07 um, season. Yep. And actually, there are so many people connected to your organisation that are still there, um, even now. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's the only thing that kind of worries me about the future of the Ducks, is we do have some ageing players on there. You know, we still have Getzlav, we still have Perry. Um, I'd still have Tay Mussolini. Uh, you know, I've, that's how much I rate him. Um, but they are still, as long as they're still doing a job, I think we're all right. But they're going to start being more susceptible to injuries. And I think that's my only worry going forward is are we creating the talent behind them to replace them for when time inevitably hits them? But I think, I think any organisation that has a Stanley Cup becomes a lot better prospect for players to go to. Yeah. You know, when you see that the, the culture of winning I think dra- you know attracts people. You've obviously got the same head coach Randy Carlisle, although let's obviously he had a bit of a, a time <laughs> away from the Ducks. Ironically, yeah. Yeah, there's so many connections between the Ducks and Leafs, it's unbelievable. Um yes. he's in part 2, but is he forward thinking enough? For the ducks, or would you rather have a fresh-faced, uh, uh, you know, person behind the bench to take you to it for a new era? You see, I, 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 I'm more of a. I worry more about is our general manager thinking forwardly enough? You know, I think coaches can adapt quite well, but I would always be worried as a hockey club as to what my general manager's doing. What's he? What's he? What's he signing? What, what, in which direction he's taking it? And that's why I'm moderately hopeful as a ducks fan this season because. I always feel we we always get the best out of trades. You know, we've never had absolute stinkers play for our clubs, unlike, you know, other clubs which I shall not mention here, who have not been a, who've not been had the best of success in trades. Every time we trade someone, I always feel like we get an upgrade. And that means for the last other than one year, in the last 6 years we've made it to the playoffs, which isn't bad considering that we don't get favorable draft picks. Hmm. Hmm. Steve, what do you think? Uh, did you ever watch the Mighty Ducks, the film, back See, in the day? I re- yeah, I do remember the Mighty Ducks as a film and really enjoyed it. It's one of those classic hockey films you tend to think of alongside things like Miracle and Slapshot uh, for very, very yeah. different reasons because yeah. it appeals to kids but also appeals to, to adults as well. And, you know, showing my age, I remember when the Ducks first came into the into the NHL and when you think of the organisation, you think of, you know, Certainly the, the Hall of Fame recently, when you think of, you know, Timu Solani, you think of Paul Correa, you mm. think of the more modern guys, mm. like you say, like Ryan Getzlaff. And, you know, thinking of, of the Cup in 2007, and I just think that when you put that team together, everything, everything just came together at the right possible time. Everyone wanted Solani to win the Cup. Um but then I think it's very difficult when you win a cup to then kind of 
look forward because I think at that time you I think Anaheim did need to make some changes but it's it's very difficult when you've got that core group of players you don't want to mess with it too much so you end up keeping it together keeping it together and keeping it together and I think maybe when we're looking at it now although Anaheim have won a cup it is now 11 12 years ago and Anaheim really haven't quite got back to that echelon again they've kind of just been like around about the first second round of the playoffs they've seen other teams obviously be a bit more successful and I think having been to Anaheim myself and the the one game I watched there was Anaheim and LA and that's a hell of a rivalry because it's there isn't that far between the two teams and LA fans travel to Anaheim for that game and it's it's a good it's a good atmosphere I mean it was really really great fun so I think as an Anaheim fan you sit there and see the success that LA have had much more recently, I think you have to kind of maybe look at it and think, you know, maybe we should have moved on a bit further and we are kind of like an, an older veteran team that does need that injection of young talent around as well. And I think you're right what you say is that you're always there or thereabouts. Anaheim are always one of those teams that people talk about and go, that is a team that's built to make a deep playoff cup run. But recently they really haven't. They've just got to the playoffs and that's just been about it. Conference playoff, conference final. Sorry, in 2017. I mean, that wasn't bad. We lost to the Predators. They were they were all right that year. Conference finals in 2015. Again, we weren't too bad that year. I I, I think I think you look at the Ducks right now, and I think really, if we could get fit, there's a DNA of a good team there. I think we need to make some smart trades uh, offensively. But I mean, I, I mean, the other reason I'm really hopeful is I mean, we've always done well with netminders of the Ducks. You know, we've never had any shockers, especially in the last 10 years. And I, you know, because I rated Hiller. Um, and I think Gibson's probably the best netminder in the NHL right now. You um, you haven't got a lot of cap space, have you? No, I mean, that's the right problem with, when you spend 8 million on Ryan Getzlaff and 8 million on, on Perry and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, so we, we do have to be smart, but you can attract that younger talent if you're a team that regularly makes the playoffs. And I always think that's one of the things I know. I, I do take the point that we've, especially last year when we lost 0 and 4 against the Sharks, it was a, that was a, a brief visit uh, to the playoffs, but you attract more attention and players. If they feel like they're going to a club that will be, or there or thereabouts, you know, far easier than a club who, who's, who's sitting bottom and has sat there for bottom for the last couple of years. Do you see what I mean? Um, Carlisle, I think, mm. is a good man manager, which I think is why he keeps a lot of players, and I think that's why a lot of players stick with him. Um, and depending on how you see coaching, you can see that as a good thing or a bad thing. I see it as a potentially good thing. Um, and there's a reason why the organization had him back. You know, A, he's won a couple of us, but also he, he. I think he suits us. You know, I think he suits the way we play because he's molded that team in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... For me, what I enjoy about the Anaheim Ducks story, and it was a pleasure to go back and read about the history um, of Ducks, Mm. right from the start, I mean, any team that has been founded by Disney is surely a great start to the story anyway. And then the fact that, you know, your um, owners had to pay LA Kings, uh, what was it, $50 million to share Southern California um, is crazy. And just reading about... Uh, your, the roster that you had in 94 was the lowest payroll of NHL. And in total, it came to $7.9 yep. $7. million. I mean, it's like, what? Mm. The whole roster these days, it's crazy. If if you have NHL Network, 
I almost demand you go back and watch one of the first Anaheim Ducks games at home, three or four games in. Watch them. Watch the presentation. Watch what they're trying to do, and be amazed they lasted a season. And because I mean <laughs> they, they were doing, you know, they I think they did everything wrong as a franchise right at the beginning, especially when you consider that they were set up at the same time with the Florida Panthers, who for me did everything right. You know, really nice jersey, really nice kit, started from the back, worked their way out, you know, had a good run early on. You know, Panthers was was a, was a good place to be. If you watch the early Anaheim Ducks tape, you know, when, they, when we scored goals, Tinkerbell would be superimposed on screen and fly along <laughs> and make the goal go in. And you're like, who are you trying to attract here, Anaheim? What is, what, what is the strategy? And then you, you see just a wave of shirt and ties in the arena because it's just all the workforce. It's all the workforce yeah. at Disney. So they're high-fiving each other, not a clue what's going on. I think that that franchise oh, is a... Yeah, I think that franchise, having been able to... I mean, I think like most Anaheim Ducks fans, when we split, when we came away from Disney, I think we got a lot better. Um, our focus changed, and and we became less of a kind of a, a workers' retreat and more of a, a genuine hockey club that wanted to compete. Really, um, but for that franchise to go on and do the things it's done, I think is absolutely remarkable. When you consider other franchises, yeah, you were the first California team to win the cup, and yep. I think that kind of yep. ties in quite nicely to. Um, the the idea of whether this terrifying place that California used to be uh, for teams to go when they're on the road has obviously in the last couple of seasons massively changed, hasn't it? Um, Steve, mm. correct me on this. What was it known as? The, the Death Valley or something like that, that every team that went to California had to play the Ducks, the Kings um, and Sharks was basically walking away with nothing most of the time weren't they is it called death valley can't remember what do they call it it's something like that but yeah i mean it was it was an awful run that you would have to go on but you'd have to go out west play those teams over a short period of time maybe four or five four or five nights and it was very difficult and you you had those teams as well playing at the very top of the western conference as well and yeah, if you were if you could come away with a win, maybe maybe scratch an, an overtime loss or an overtime win here or there, then then I think you've done incredibly well for yourself. And it, it was a true test for a lot of teams. You know, when we when we look back at it, I mean, the, the Sharks have been a, been a playoff team. I mean, the the, the Ducks, mm. as you say, have mm. been you know a, a couple of conference finals. I, I do you know I think you know, maybe the, the Ducks should have maybe done better during that time. But you know, the Kings have got multiple cups. It's it's very very difficult. I mean, I think now when you look at maybe going out to those teams out in the West, I don't think it's as anywhere near as scary as it as it once was. I think you know you've got like um, we talked a lot about the Ducks, but I mean the Kings are in big disarray. Um, I Which mean, is I, a shame. I am <laughs> I am utterly disappointed. You know, hate to see them fall like that. Yeah, I know you would Ooh. be as a Ducks fan, but I mean they have. They are another team that have kind of they've had they've had the multiple Stanley Cup wins and then haven't really moved on after that. And I think I don't want to upset Kings fans, but what I will say is they are also a prime example of a team that won at least one cup on the back end of a netminder playing out of his playing out of his skin, because mm. Jonathan Quick basically carried them to at least 
one cup and i know that can happen you mm. get like the hot net mind doing everything else like that but it's not as scary it's not as scary as it once was i i can think of other trips that are, are much more scary these days than that one <laughs> i just want to say though um and obviously if jolon was here this would be the point where he would be going off on one about how amazing the leafs are right now i'm gonna give people a bit of a break on that this week that obviously i'm very smug as a leafs fan but I'll kind of try and rein it in, but I did promise some uh, some uh, <laughs> trivia as part of this episode when I tweeted earlier, and I wanted to say uh, what the link was between Michael Jackson's Earth Song and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do either of you know what that link may be? See, I do know what it is because I, I had to look it up. Well, in Michael Jackson's Earth Song was Christmas number one and only 1% of the UK's population used the internet back in December 1995. And it just so happens that that was the last time that Toronto Maple Leafs had the California sweep. So there you go. That was obviously changed in the history books because over the last week they got another sweep which uh, will take those points thank you very much and pop them in our back pocket for later in the season when we have to battle with Boston and Tampa as we always do and maybe the Buffalo Sabres at this rate who knows can I just say something then so the last time you did the, the, the sweep in California was when the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup Oh, God. Have you got anything to add? Anything amazing that the Ducks did back then? Uh, no, they were too new. I think I think at that point we were still debating on if we should go for that horrible burgundy or, or, or maybe go to that lovely teal. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, 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 that's what the kids want. Yeah, yeah no, cup, a cup <laughs> in Colorado, thanks to a certain netminder that decided to play somewhere else. Yes. Okay, well, look, uh, Dals, I want to talk to you more about your hockey knowledge um, a little bit later on. But let's just kind of round up where we are with the league um, this week, because there is plenty of news. And we mentioned this on the podcast last week, actually, uh, about changes in head coaches. And it seems that whilst last year it was very quiet on uh, there was no changes Coach-wise, this season, we're seeing four already. Steve, are you surprised by the changes we've seen in the last week? No. I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's one of those things that teams are now taking a good look at where they are in in the standings. I mean, we're we're a quarter way through the season now, and I think it's a a good indication of maybe how your your season's going to um, turn out. And I think, you know, when we look at the teams that have made the relevant changes i i for me don't think there there is any surprises there yeah because we're looking at um i mean mike you fired fired by st louis blues he was only saying a few weeks ago wasn't he my job should be in question right now so that didn't come as a massive blow um their interim who they brought in what do we think about him i i think that the blues have got much bigger issues than than maybe what's going on from a coaching standpoint. But I just want to go back to that. Can you imagine if, I mean, we all do our jobs and stuff like that. Going into your performance review and going, yeah, I'd actually fire me as well. You just would not say that. No, exactly. You're going to positive and say the wonderful thing to do. Well, I'd argue that. I would say that if my severance pay (laughs) was as... It was as probably as juicy as his was. You know what I mean? If if my employer, I mean I'm self-employed, so I, you know I 
I'll have to think about Talk this harder. But, you know, if I knew that by going in and saying, you know what, you should probably fire me. And in doing so, I got, you know, half a million. I'd be like, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was, I've also put the question out on Twitter about whether we whether we like hearing coaches uh, be emotional in their post-game interviews. Um, and that was related to uh, Toronto played Columbus Blue Jackets last night. And um, they were 2-0 up uh, at the end of the first and then they went down 4-2 and their head coach, John Tortorelli, um, just used the word dumb. And I mean, the post-game interview was Mm. like about a minute and I did feel sorry for the reporters, actually. I think they were terrified to ask him another question in case he was going to shout at them or (laughs) something. But he was clearly moved. And even on the bench, he's a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, but it's interesting how we wouldn't expect players to kind of be so open. You would never expect a player to say, oh, uh, my job should be in question right now. My contract should be in question right now. You just wouldn't hear that, would you? So why is it OK for coaches? Um, I love the drama of it as a fan, obviously not of my club, but um I don't know. It's an interesting predicament, isn't it, really? Do you, as a fan, would you have wanted to hear that from Mike Yu? Do you appreciate the honesty? I don't know. What do you think? I, I wouldn't. I would not have wanted to hear that because at the end of the day, I just want my coach to concentrate on making the team better. Even if the team isn't performing as well as it should do, if there's injuries, you know, bad form, lack of confidence, whatever it is at the moment, I would want him to just concentrate on doing that. Brutal honesty in that situation, mm, I don't absolutely. think is a good thing. Um, who else have I missed? I've lost all my notes. Who else has gone? I can't find all my notes. There we go. Yeah. John Stevens and Quenville. Uh, yes, McClellan. So this came. Uh, fortunately, I'm glad that all these things are happening before we record this podcast, <laughs> which is uh, we got we caught lucky last week as well. Actually, um, Oilers are an interesting one, aren't they? That this was a make or break season for them anyway. Uh, I don't think they're not hmm. kind of showing themselves to be the worst of the NHL, but they're not exactly seeing a, a surprising rise to fame of someone that needed a kick up a bum, like, say, I'll use them again, Buffalo Sabres, who have gone from pretty dire over the last few years to suddenly like, wow, what the heck's happened there? What are we thinking with the Oilers at the moment? Because a lot of people are criticising the GM and saying, actually, the GM should be the one that's stepping away because he's responsible for some of the trades that have gone on. I think it was really interesting reading uh, the GM uh, Chirelli's kind of reasoning. Do you see what I mean? Because he said, he said we had a good stretch. We looked great. I don't think we were overachieving. So he was like, that's why I want us to play. And then he talked about like mm. I, I'm seeing some reversion. And then and and then the, the best thing he said he said it isn't scientific. It's a sense and a feel. You talk to some people and what you you saw. So basically, he felt like Todd wasn't doing a good job, even though he said minutes earlier, I think he's a very good coach. It, it's a strange way to fire someone rather than just rather than just say results haven't been as expected. We want to try a new approach. He's gone in and said it just felt a bit funky, <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. so I got rid of him. Um, and I was like, ah, is is that a is that a real good approach to be to coming out like an amazing coaching change for the organisation, especially like I say in a make or break year, you know? 
Yeah. What do you think, Steve? Are you surprised, that, you know, on that one? I'm I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, I must admit, outside of seeing the Oilers live in Gothenburg, I haven't seen, uh, like, many complete games of, of theirs. But I think the thing that stood out for me when I was watching that game and from what I've seen of them defensively they're very very mm. poor I mean if you're the mm. netminder for Edmonton you're you're taking target practice um I don't think their netminding has been great but at the same time I think they're they're fundamentally making very very poor decisions um in the defensive zone and I think I do agree as well it's not just down to the coach I think it is down to the gym as well because I think we talked about it before when I was on the show, is the fact that McDavid could turn around in a few years and start really blaming this organisation for not putting the relevant talent around him. He really hasn't had a lot of talent. And I think he is going to be the sort of guy that could take a look at some point and think, you know what, this really isn't for me. I, I want to go and play somewhere else. I think, you know, coming into the league, everyone kind of, when you think of the Oilers, I always think of, of, the, of the great Gretzky teams that won the Cups. And I think with David coming in, you know, the comparisons were made between the two players, which was a bit unfair anyway. But McDavid's lived up to the hype, and then some. But he, he hasn't had the talent around him to be able to deliver. And I think, you know, people are going to start saying, you know, like, you're a great player, but you, you really haven't delivered. But at the same time, he really hasn't had the talent around him. And when I saw Edmonton play, I was like, this is, this is just not a good team. But when you think that they got thoroughly outplayed by a New Jersey Devils team. I mean, it wasn't even close. Uh, McDavid played well that game. And I think that's kind of like the story, is that McDavid plays well, but everyone else around him really doesn't play well. And I think that's when you kind of have to look at it and go, right, we need to take a different approach. We'll get a different coach in and see exactly how the, how they go about things. And I think the coaching hire is a, is a good one. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they do over the last 60-plus games. And I think you can see them potentially going on a run, but it's got to be a lot more than just a coaching change. It's got to be that they've got to get the fundamentals right. I have obviously uh, been reading Craig Cassant's, uh book, Behind the Bench. And um, I tweeted earlier actually saying, I can't read this book quick enough because it's got key people like Mike Babcock. Um, and it's also got Ken Hitchcock um, in there as well. Um, and it's got Joel Quenville. So literally, it seems to be like he's he's made all these changes in coaching happen all at the right time so he can sell more of his book, I reckon. Um, what do we think are, that Ken Hitchcock is really going to do with this team? Is, he, is there much option for him to move things around? I, I mean, and it also seems like he'll be decided at the end of the season whether it's working out or not. It's not quite an interim position, but it's not quite a he's our head coach now and that's that. No, I mean, I think that the Blues felt that he was he was their answer to, to everything. And I think it's going to come down to the scenario of either they make the playoffs or, they'll again, they'll look again next year and they'll, they'll have to make changes. I think, you know, making the change now, I think, is, is a good time to do it. And obviously McLean was on, was on borrowed time, but I think anyone in that job is on borrowed time because I think they, they want success and they want it as soon as. But I think, again, as I said, it, it comes down to just a lot more than just who's behind the bench. It's got to be the players on the ice have, have got to perform, whether that be the defense, whether it be the defenseman, whether that be they've got to have a lot more attacking options. 
other than just the likes of McDavid and Dreisaitl, because otherwise they, they're, they're just not going to score enough to make up for some of their, their defensive issues. I think also the danger for, uh, for them at the moment is if McDavid continues to get frustrated, and I think you're absolutely right, he's going to get to the point where he's saying, I can only win with a team. I can't win by myself. The moment he starts to become a want-away player, his value decreases rapidly, you know. And if they're going to trade him, they're going to have to do it sooner rather than later if he's not happy because they won't get nearly as much for him if he's desperate to leave than if he's just a little bit frustrated with the organisation. I can definitely see why they're so worried about this being a make-or-break year. And I really think that the, the key, the catalyst behind the firing of the coach was because they're so worried about losing McDavid. Who would be the GM, though, to trade McDavid? I mean, that's. I mean, I, I know you say never say never well, because obviously well. Gretzky got traded and everything else. I was going to say, same organisation. Well, you know. Yeah. Um, organisation's got previous. Yeah, but I'd, I would not want to be the GM that traded away the, the, one of the, the great players that have, that's played this game. Yeah, but absolutely. But if he becomes completely want away and every, ne- and every club knows he doesn't want to play for Edmonton anymore, you're going to be able to pick him up at a significantly reduced trading cost than if Edmonton do it quickly. Absolutely. I can't see it happening either, but I think they are so worried about McDavid. That's why I think... I mean, I agree with you. I think this coaching decision isn't the worst one in the world. I still think it's kind of knee-jerk. I still think you give the guy a bit of time, especially because they've got back to winning ways recently. Do you know what I mean? Especially because they've been, they've been finding some connections. It... it it feels like McDavid is almost being a bit of an albatross on the organisation in, in some ways. I wonder who they've got on their schedule coming up. Um, we'll have to have a, have a quick scoot. I'll Google it now if my internet connection permits me to do so and see who they've got coming up because they need a, a cleaner run, don't they? In order to, to get back on things. Well, I mean, um, they're, 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 doing the, yeah. they're doing the California road trip, aren't they? They're, so, you know... I mean, and the thing is, they won't be looking forward to that too much. I mean, there's two good games against the Kings there, and there's uh, there's the Ducks, and there's also the Golden Knights, so I think they'll look forward to that. But the San Jose Sharks aren't a bad team at all. And I think... I, 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 if I'm the GM and I see that, that fixture list coming up, I'm thinking, well, surely that's the point where the, the club could turn it around. This is where the coach could turn around. Two games against the Kings, two games against uh, the Stars, two games against... Uh, you know the golden knights the ducks and sharks surely that's going to be the catalyst to find out where we are as a team but you know i, I like i say i think it's i think mcdavid shadow is is, is very very big right now mm. what um steve you uh had about the power ranking um didn't you and I've not got the link um, to open but that came out early this week mcdavid was right up there was he number one yeah, I, I think um, David very well may have been um, number one, but I mean, I, th- I think for, it's a, a power rank is an interesting one as we look at individual players. I always more look at it from a from a team standpoint because I think it's again it, we we are this, this this quarter stage of the season, and I think teams are kind of finding out where they are. But I mean, we've touched them and. Not that much, but I keep on coming up very briefly in conversations that we have. But I think for me, the, the big surprise so far, and you've got to kind of start taking them a little bit seriously now, uh, a Buffalo. I mean, they've won six in a row. 
for I know Buffalo fans that are somewhat suicidal most of the season, a lot of the time. And I think you know they're they're one of those fans now that kind of like they they picked their head out of the sand and gone. Actually, we could actually be Sabres fans again. <laughs> we get that a lot in Anaheim as well. Actually, we do get that kind of oh hi everyone. We must be having a good season. You haven't seen you in years kind of thing and and I think you're right you can just feel it amongst the fans can't you at the moment it's a, it's an interesting one for me because I think you know Buffalo are one of those teams that they they kind of had that season um where they didn't win the Stanley Cup and I, I don't want to kind of go on about it because if you mention that Stanley Cup finals against the Dallas Stars <laughs> you end up you know riling up any older generation Buffalo Sabres fan and that's almost like what they've held on to for the last 18, 19 years is because they haven't had much success since then. But I think now they've they've got a, a decent nucleus of players and they seem to like they're, they're playing very, very well right now. I think the, the, the biggest issue for them is a division they're in. I mean, when you think about it, the fact that, you know, Bruins, the Canadians, the Lightning and the Maple Leafs are all in that division. Every single team in the Atlantic division has got a plus 500 record. I mean, that's how tough that division is people used to talk about mm. the central division mm. being the toughest division in hockey now the atlantic division is is now turning into an absolute dogfight of a division and when you think about it i mean yeah you look at that division and go okay we've got the maple leaves at the top you got the lightning it's going to come down to one of those two teams but the sabers are kind of saying you know we want to run right now you know don't kind of count us out and it'd be interesting to see exactly what they do over the next 10 to 15 games is it one of those things they've just like hit a really good stretch but they can't maintain it. But they, they played well for a while now. Mm, I'd love to have a Buffalo Sabres fan on. If someone is listening to this and you're a Buffalo fan, please contact me <laughs> so we can talk more about the Atlantic Division because obviously myself and Jolan will wax lyrical about how hard it is being an Atlantic Division team right now. Boo-hoo. Um, let's talk injuries as well uh, because that might be something that could trip Buffalo up. Haha, <laughs> who knows? Um, some surprises happening around the league and some big names out as well. I mean, Austin Matthews, obviously, my beloved Austin, is not uh, in the Maple Leafs lineup. And although he's been out doing a couple of practices, he's no idea when he's coming back. We've got Subban, PK Subban out. We've got Sidney Crosby. And then some gruesome, um, uh, the gruesome injury that happened early this week uh, for Vincent Trocek, that leg injury of which. I actually watched a video for that while I was sat in a coffee shop on my own and a man came over to ask me what I'd seen because uh, he saw my face that just was like, oh, that leg was not pretty, was it? Um, I, I'd actually tweeted um, earlier asking uh, which injuries there are for people's teams at the moment and what impact it's having. Let's just have a look at some of the responses. Uh, we got Dallas Stars, a couple of Dallas Stars fans got in contact. Uh, Sarah. Um, said Klingberg, uh, John's Carrick uh, on defence. Their power play has died, as has their pace of play. On the plus side, a couple of rookies are getting a chance and Lindell is emerging as an actual top pair player. Um, who else has said? Here, Matt said he's impressed with Lindell since all the injuries on D. Losing Shaw was bad too as he was starting to score. And now Bishop is out. Uh, ben Bishop, their goalie, just got to hang in there until the injuries clear up. 
Um, I mean, we know we're going to hit injuries. It's a it's a nature of the beast, isn't it? In this um, sport, there are so many games. It's a busy, busy, long season. Um, who who are you thinking uh, is uh, the big impact for you, Ducks? I've got quite a few. You've got yeah, we're, a couple we're, of we're, long injuries. Yeah, we're you? we're about a line down at the moment, and, and we've had that since the beginning of the season. And you know, when you're thinking which team could be better if you know it, it's a long season, who could you get back? Um, well, no Patrick Eves, no Corey Perry, uh, no Cam Fowler, no Hampus Lindholm, and you're like, yeah, they're I've heard of them. They're all right, and they're expensive. Very as well, expensive. Aren't they? So you know you having you have to put the money in your reserve and all the rest of it. But yeah, it's difficult to replace that. And again, it, it's it's why perversely I have hope because I think a team that has Corey Perry and and Patrick Eves back in the side and 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 Fowler and and Lindholm back in the side is probably scoring a bit more. It's probably conceding a bit less, and. There's a lot of rookies trying to make it work right now in Anaheim, and I think we need a couple of. Well, we need a couple of plays. I mean, we didn't have Ryan Getzlaff for the first half of the season. You know, you know that's real, real talent you're missing out there. Um, so, my my mate, actually, it's Jonathan who says this: that the team that wins the league or the team that wins the playoffs always tends to be the team that keeps the healthiest. If you can keep healthy, you're probably going to win it all. Uh, it's why I've kind of written off the season right now for the Ducks. Um, but and it's kind of luck, but I think that's also one of those things of like how how are you doing preseason and how are you doing those first couple of games to get so injured so early with so many injuries. There is a sense of bad luck, but I also think there's a case of like how are you preparing for the season? Yeah, and, and I mean it feels like no team has got anyone out you've got a chap in avalanche as well haven't you he's out for concussion haven't you steve yeah confers out with a concussion i mean that's a, that's always a tricky one because you you have to go through protocol and you don't quite know how long someone's going to be out when they have that so yeah i mean that that's a that's a bad one um i think colorado where they would definitely fall foul is if if one of the big three uh went down for any length of time i mean if, if they lost landers cog mckinnon or Ranton, and I think the scoring would really drop off and have the the biggest effect. But for me right now, the team that is really suffering in terms of injuries, um, and I, I know you won't be too saddened by this, is, is Tampa Bay. I mean, Vasilevsky, their netminders out for a period of time. They've got Palat also out. And they're, they're two key players for them. And, and the thing is as well is that, you know, if you, you lose a defenseman or a forward, you, you can get another guy that could kind of step up. But if you lose a number one netminder, that's when it really does become very, very difficult. I mean, yes, there's a reason why we do have the backups and they're worth their weight in gold. But, you know, you kind of have to make a decision on how much you want to invest in a backup, you know, in terms of salary and everything else, trying to find a guy that's able to kind of step up from being the backup to being the number one. So I think Tampa's going to be very interesting, certainly. I think, I mean, if Platt's due to be back... Um, within the next three to four weeks, I might understand, but Vasilevsky is um, is a fractured foot, so he could be out for four, six weeks, or whatever, at the very least. So they're, they're two very key injuries right there at the top of that Atlantic division. Mm, mind you, they're doing blooming well in the league, aren't they? I think Toronto are now top of the league. Oh, let me just check. 
maybe I'm making up that now. I mean, it is Tuesday night, not Thursday by the time we release this, just to know. Oh, sorry, top of the Eastern Conference, but Tampa Bay Lightning are only one point underneath. Same games played. Um, they're 14-6 one way, 15-6 and nothing. So, yeah, it's... Uh, how I don't know how long Vasilevsky's been out for, uh, but can't be that bad right now. They they won the other night as well, I think. So we'll see. It's it's about maintaining and keeping the consistency. It seems uh, to to be a consistent team in this game is the most important thing, really. And let's face it, all of our teams have had ups downs. Even Toronto has had situations where we went from scoring every single bloody game crap load to then nothing to then back scoring again. Um, and inconsistency is is a terrifying thing, isn't it? Where you can't you can't see where how it's going to work out next and what the patterns are in your team. It's a nightmare as a fan. Yeah, it is very very difficult. I mean, I think again, it is trying to find that consistency and trying to win maybe six seven out of every ten games and just trying to keep that going throughout the course of a season. But as Dale said, it is very important to maintain that health and get your players right when it matters the most because don't forget it doesn't matter what you do in a regular season once you get inside those playoffs you know we talk about you know home ice advantage and everything else like that which I don't think is such a big thing in the NHL I, I really don't come playoff time I think it's more important to be healthy in form and and everything else that goes along with that so I think that's going to be you know what the, the teams at the top are going to want to do is be healthy as much as possible have their guys scoring at the right time, just so they can give themselves that best possible chance to get those 16 wins to be able to win the cup. But I'll say something about Toronto at the moment. Is that Toronto the only team in the NHL yet that hasn't had an overtime loss? Woohoo! I'll take that. You will do um, for now, unless that overtime loss is Game 7 of the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> Thanks for that. But oh, you know what? On Friday last week, all but one of the games on Friday were not solved in 60 minutes. Uh, I think I think there were six games. Yeah, and five of them went to overtime. I can't remember how many went to shootouts. Um, and they weren't massive scoring games either. So, you know, we won that. Uh, against some some um, some kind of crap team in California, I think uh, <laughs> think they yeah no actually <laughs> ducks. Um, we mentioned backup goalies, and I threw the question out that um, as a lot of teams uh, were relying on their backup goalies over the last week, we've seen a few of those uh, number ones injured. And just long, more of the back-to-back games have been happening. Um, your backup goalies, have they had their chance to shine? I know for Leafs fans, um, there was huge pressure on Garrett Sparks, um, who has been put as uh, all eggs in a basket to be backup goalie for Toronto Maple Leafs um, after they released McElhenney. uh earlier this season. And there was pressure on him to make sure that he showed that he was worth it which is so so difficult isn't it when you get these guys who barely get any ice time when it comes to games and then that you're on one of the most difficult road stretchers and they're just expected to snap into place um i don't know how you kind of keep your mind sane as a backup goalie um but any of them stood out to you i mean i think sparks has been outstanding on that trip, I mean, if you if you watch the game between 
Ducks and Toronto, you will know that I think Toronto had three good shots on goal, <laughs> you know, and scored them both. And we were absolutely peppering Sparks, and he had a heck of a night. Heck of a night. Um, it's some, a career high for him. Yeah, yeah most and, shots faced. And uh, I think I think some play, some players like that though. You know, some netminders are weird. You know, some some netminders like that kind of me against the world because that's basically what the job is, isn't it? It's it's me against the world. Um, in terms of backups, I mean, it, it 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 seems like every topic has been nicely steered towards the Ducks so far. I would reckon that we have probably one of the most enviable backup netminders in the league in Ryan Miller. In so much, you know, in so much as uh, steady, you know, when you've got somebody like John Gibson who's doing well, but is, you you know, you want to protect every other night and you want to have a, a good pair of hands, you know, to, to take over. Ryan Miller's not a bad shout, really, is he? Yes, he's got, there's 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 the eight you know how old he is but he's undoubtedly a quality netminder who's he's had seven games and he's got a two point three one goals against average absolutely fine um, you're not the only one to suggest him actually yeah. because uh, Rob uh, McGregor on Twitter who also does a great um, NHL podcast one pucks uh, one puck short mm. has also mentioned um, he's put Ryan Miller who's doing a great job behind Gibson uh, he'd be his pick but says yeah he's 38 so will he ever be a number one ever I, and I think that's what's perfect about Ryan because I mean you can you can argue about some back backups and and if especially clubs that have netminders in rotation you know which one's the backup and then it's the argument well if you have two netminders you have no netminders but i think if you were to say you've got a really good young talent in jod gibson and if he has a bad night ryan miller's gonna pop in you'd be like fine don't need to worry about the netminder situation absolutely fine you know there's there's not many question marks that ryan miller has had Yes, you can look at his age, but I think one of the miracles of modern sport is how, if you look after yourself, you can play this game for a very, very long time. Yep. Um, Jonathan has sent us a tweet saying uh, Kincaid is um, his backup goalie, number one, uh, although he says a bit harsh to call him a backup this season so far um, mm. for Jersey Devils. Um, what are you thinking, Steve? I don't actually know who Tampa's backup is, um, whoever's playing him for Vasilevsky. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the name escapes me um, just for a moment, but I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, first of all, from a Colorado point of view, it's uh, Grubauer who was in um, Washington last season. Uh, and very cleverly, Colorado actually played Grubauer in net against Washington um, a few nights ago, and it almost uh, worked very, very well, but the Capitals managed to, to win that one. And I think I agree... I think Ryan Miller right now is is possibly the best backup netminder in the league. But if I was going to mention another name out there, I think has done tremendously well this season as well, and could very well be knocking on the door potentially as a number one netminder in Pittsburgh, and that's Casey DeSmith. I think he's played tremendously mm. well when he's had the opportunity in Pittsburgh. Matt Murray's struggled at times, you know, as we've seen, he's he's seen off Mark Andre Fleury um, in recent times, and now all of a sudden. Murray now might have some competition again for that number one spot in Pittsburgh. And that's always been like a bit of an interesting story, I think, over the last few years, because Fleury and, and Murray have been kind of like 1A, 1B, sometimes not one, sometimes a backup and, and back and forth. And I think Murray kind of saw off the challenge and, and Fleury was then uh, gotten rid of to obviously release some salary issues. 
And now all of a sudden, I think that he's got some competition again. And I think he's really going to have to step up. I mean, Pittsburgh have struggled this season. And I think it's it's not down to their backup netminder. It's actually, I think, a lot more down to the performance of, of Matt Murray. What um, qualities do you think you have to have to be a backup goalie? And how likely is it that or, or how do you make the step up to be go from backup to number one because there are so few opportunities I mean it really is like I don't know being a timpani player in an orchestra there's only one person that can do that job and then there's a heck of a lot of noise all around you and it's so important such pressure um, I'm not quite sure I wonder what the, is on the job description <laughs> and and obviously for so many teams you build particularly your defense lines around who your your goalie style as well um i mean ideally i guess you want a goalie that's taller than six foot five which is how everyone seems to go these days um but i don't i don't know i mean can you think of people who have obviously there are but i can't think of anyone off the top of my head where i've seen that progression from someone go from backup to number one and it just kind of as if they're putting a a comfortable pair of of, um, slippers on gibson kind of did that he was in rotation for the ducks for a while and then basically slowly eked his way out into being number one i think the only time a, a, a backup can ever truly become a number one is if they find themselves in rotation and that's normally bad news for the hockey club because they means they don't know who the number one netminder is. I think what you're looking for a netminder, a backup netminder in terms of job spec is patience. Patience and, and understanding that their times will come, but also the ability to understand why they're important to the club. It is a very, very difficult position to play backup netminder because you've got all that pressure and you also don't have it at all. And it means you've got to train just as hard as, as your number one. You've got to do all the things, but you don't get that chance to, to show how much you're improving and how much you're getting better. See, for me, I, I agree with the patient side of things. I mean, the, the one guy I can immediately think of that went from being a backup to a number one, but he had to go elsewhere to do it. And I think we only really saw him as a number one netminder um, at the time was uh, Cam Talbot when he was... Yeah a backup for the New York Rangers and Lundqvist was out for an extended period of time. So Talbot then took over as a number one for for New York. And then we really saw him then as a number one netminder, a guy that could carry the load on any given night. And then obviously he's he's now the number one um, in Edmonton. But I think when it comes down to backup netminders, you do have to be ready at any given moment because I think something that's become very, very commonplace in the last few years in the playoffs is a quick hook from the coach. A coach will literally, right at the start, if, if the netminder gives up a, a couple of quick goals or this, he really doesn't like the way the team are playing at that particular moment, he'll take the netminder out. You don't see it as much in the regular season. And I, having watched a lot of playoff hockey over the last 25 years, dare I say, is it wasn't so prevalent back then, but it seems to be now that coaches will pull those netminders very, very quickly. And I think that's where it then really benefits you if you do have that experienced backup netminder. I think sometimes when you've got like a younger netminder that has to come into a playoff scenario and hasn't kind of seen it and done it, and I always I always talk about this in all, in all sports, is the fact that the be successful in the playoffs, 
you have the number one thing for me is you you've got to have experience and it doesn't necessarily mean experience of winning but experience of going through it because it's something that's very very different the playoffs is is like night and day difference to what it's like to go through the regular season and i think you know you take a look at anaheim i think they're very clever there to have a guy like ryan miller who's played in a lot of not only important games at nhl level a lot of important games at international level and so if you if he the team needs to call on him they know he's going to be ready for whatever reason whether it be an injury bad form or anything else and i think that's where i if i was a general manager and i'm certainly not one of those but i would go and get myself an experienced netminder because i just think that you know a lot more about what you're going to get and i think when it comes to playoffs even more so rather than having that young guy and i'm not saying that you know there is the blueprint because we've seen younger netminders go on a run and be able to perform at the highest level but I think I would rather have the veteran presence there if it was me. And I think it's also another good thing as well to have in the locker room. And I think mm. that's another thing that we, we kind of don't often talk about. But having that veteran locker room presence, not so much in the regular season, but again, come playoff time, I think is very important. I think, I think that's why, again, when I was looking at our season, you know, you, you, are, are we being ambitious? I think putting up a backup netminder as Ryan Miller is a sign of ambition, perversely enough when you have somebody who who's getting on a bit because it's saying we're looking for experience in the down the stretch we're looking for that net mining experience down the stretch if we need it the only negative and i can see why some clubs don't do it i completely agree with you steve but i think the reason why so many veteran net miners don't end up doing what ryan's doing is because of how expensive they are you know they were they were just again I think in Anaheim we've got that perfect storm at the moment that we've got this young up and coming netminder so he's a bit cheap and we've got Ryan Miller who's like I just want to play fine you know and I, again it's, it's part of my we always tend to do good trades at the Ducks and I think it's just another good example of one we're talking um, AHL uh, a little bit next week as well we've got a, um, a Leafs fan who has followed Toronto Marley's um, for many many years as well as uh, the Leafs so it'll be interesting to dip into how is that kind of pond working when we look at affiliates in bringing through those young sparky type of netminders for the future generation of this sport um, I just want to nod to um, something to do well, Carey Price, I've I've written down here, actually, when it comes to goalies, because he came out a couple of weeks ago saying that he was really struggling. And we've been talking about having these very solid, experienced netminders, a guy who's been around for so many years and, and proven himself over and over, um, not always had the results that he wanted. But um, it, he obviously has kind of got back... Uh, got his skates back on, back on the ice, and it's just cracking on with things. Um, some mixed results over the past few days, but a real incredible moment. I don't know if you saw it in the highlights that there was like 0.003 seconds of the game left uh, between um, Washington Caps and Montreal Canadiens, and uh, Avechkin fired this, you know, as he does, a power shot. And Carey Price made the save and uh, Ovechkin went over to Carey Price and shook his hand or, or tapped him on there and said, nice save. Um, and it just shows with these uh, kind of guys that, you know, when you've got that solid experience, sometimes you could still waver and wonder whether you're still doing a good job. And I like the fact that with someone like Carey Price, he was quite upfront and honest and 
just I can't remember what the words that he said. Didn't he say something like, uh, "I've just got to get my head back into the game or get my head back into the zone," something similar to that. But I like the honesty of that, and there must be so much pressure on these goalies that it's it's unbelievable how they keep their cool. I think it'll be interesting, you know, when we talk about Kerry Price, because a lot of rumours flying around that Montreal may may deal him at, at some point in the, in the very near future. It, it kind of goes back to a conversation we had earlier on, in so much as that Edmonton dealt Wayne Gretzky, could they then deal Conor McDavid? Montreal, in kind of a similar situation, they dealt Patrick Waugh, one of the greatest netminders of all time, if not the greatest, could they deal Kerry Price, one of the great netminders that's that's certainly of my generation and certainly one of the, the best netminders I've ever seen? And would you be willing to do that? Again, you've got to look at it and, you know, what would you bring in to follow that? You know, could you ultimately get the right kind of value? I think netminders is a very interesting one because once you get a good netminder, I think you do want to kind of try and hold on to them and you know, Kerry Price has obviously struggled a bit. And I think, again, it is, is as he said, it's trying to get his head right again. Because I think, I think it's one of those positions, the harder you try, the more likely you are to kind of make mistakes. But netminders, from speaking to the ones I've spoken to, they thrive on games, big-time pressure moments, whether it be, you know, staring down a guy on a breakaway and trying to come up trumps and trying to outwit that player. And I think, you know, for Kerry Price, I'm sure he'll he'll get on a run and we'll have completely forgotten about the fact that he, he did struggle for a while. Just talking about money and trades and move-arounds, um, Joel Quenville, so obviously uh, currently sat at home, still receiving a fairly hefty paycheck. He's the second most expensive coach in the NHL at the moment. I think he's got a season remaining at $6 million. Woo! Um, do we think he's going to end up somewhere else by the end of this season? That's the question a lot of people have been asking. Apparently, the rumours say that he wants to walk into a ready-made contender for the Cup. Um, so, yeah. So, therefore... He probably won't go uh, to St. Louis Blues. But then whoever takes him on might have to pay some of his salary to the Blackhawks. So that's going to be pretty pricey. What are we thinking? I can see him not in another job until the start of next season. I, I <laughs> To be perfectly honest with you, I think it would be wise for him to maybe take a step away from things for a while. Because, I mean, coming out of a high-pressure situation... It doesn't there, matter, does it? getting paid anyway well uh, i can understand the thought process that people obviously want to be in in work and doing something in terms of you know that is their their livelihood they want to be back coaching in a great scenario but i just don't seem to think that there is a ready-made position out there for him and, and for me again i'm not a not a head coach by any means but i would possibly take some time away and just you know kind of relax for a while and then go into maybe another situation in the summer uh, for to try and potentially try and build something somewhere else when a lot more teams are going to be looking at coaches. That being said, we'll go another 10 games down the line, another team will take one look at it and go, their coach isn't the right person for the job and they'll then go and hire, offer him the job and, and be done with it. Because I, it's what I always say, sports head coaches, it's the one job in the world 
where you can be absolute rubbish in your last job, but the, there will be a team out there that will go, you know what, that's the guy that's going to solve all of our problems, and that's the guy that's going to lead us to the promised land. So it's a never-say-never <laughs> scenario. It'll be, you should just pop to the Caribbean, be sipping a mojito, and just taking all the voicemails. That's what I would be doing if I was earning that money. <laughs> I'm not going to be stressing at all. Just contact my just contact my people. Let them sort it out. Um, I think as mere presence kind of would worry lots of head coaches at the moment because they now know if they have a bad run of form, there's yeah. somebody who's just as good, if not better, than you waiting to take your job. Mm, well, there you go. Um, the other thing I was going to say, what were you doing when you were 21? I mean, were you ambitious? Were you achieving lots in life? Because I have to be honest that I wasn't. I was, I was the president of my students' union because I'm one of those types. Wow, that's actually quite good. Yeah. I was working behind a bar. Um, yeah, graduating with a Desmond Tutu, but I'll take that. As did what I. Were... Yeah, yeah. What were you doing, Steve? Uh, see, I was working for the company that um, made me redundant last year after after twenty plus years. So. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, it's one of those things. I've, I often look back at, at my life and I always think, you know, in my twenties, I didn't achieve as much as I wanted to, but I achieved more in my, in my thirties, certainly. So, um, yeah, I don't think I achieved much at the age of twenty-one. <laughs> Unless you're Patrick Line and you uh, happen to have knocked out six hat tricks before you're twenty-one. Although I suppose all he really does is he plays a bit of ice hockey for like a few hours a week and then spends the rest of his time in his bedroom living at home with his mom playing video games so maybe that's not all that bad maybe we were more productive who knows i don't know that sounds fun <laughs> listen then um, before we finish up guys i just want to quickly catch up because you both do other podcasts which are brilliant and if people are hockey fans and they need to know about them douse just tell people about hockey hypothetical yeah, so me and Jonathan Fernley run Hockey Hypothetical. We do this podcast because we both work uh, in the Elite League and we're therefore not allowed to talk about it. Um, so we thought, what can we do to talk about hockey, which we love, uh, in a way that we're not talking about the clubs that we love? And so Hockey Hypothetical is a podcast where people ask us silly hypothetical questions and we give them hypothetical answers. Uh, last week's show had us uh, going, what rule would we add to, to hockey if we could add one rule what would the rule be and yeah we would also we also talked about if we could uh, get rid of timeouts or add timeouts how many would we add and why it's genuinely very silly I like the fact and you're very brave doing this with a maths teacher as well because oh, it's when awful. you said something as silly as oh if the if the um, the goal was twice as big and then Jonathan hit you straight away back with well actually do you mean double the size because that would be oh god he said four so times. It, it, there's very much I, I love Jonathan to death and there's very much where we we get the question sent into us and the first thing I will do is I'll go what's the really silly one because I. I mean, I've known Jonathan since uh, we worked together at that student's union uh, I was talking about. And uh, he's always been that level of thought processing, always been that level of statistics. And, and it's what makes him a great commentator for me. And that and that's it. That ex- example there is how mine and his relationship has always worked. I've always been a bit of a... Of a I, you know, 
I try and make a joke, whereas he try and works out a math problem. So, I mean, if you take this week's podcast, uh, we discussed the value of timeouts, and that was the one that Jonathan took. And I said, and I took the one, how can we make overtime better? And I think the winner of how to make overtime better uh, was when we went through it. I just love the idea of overtime. Overtime is scrapped. We now will only do penalty shots, but the only people allowed to do the penalty shots are the netminders. <laughs> How good would that be? It would last hours, but how good would it be? Oh, God. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've been at um, shootouts before of elite league teams where it's gone on for 11 or 12 rounds, I think. So, And that's not with the netminders. So who knows how long that would go on for. Are they not allowed to cross the centre line either, as per the rule book? Oh, no, they can go for it. I want to see them in the, the trimmed down pads just going for it. Having to use the full stick, you know, just... See, wouldn't it be brilliant to see Carrie Price deke another netminder? How hilarious would that be? And it would just be—I think it'd be what a spectacle. <laughs> uh, the other way we thought about it, because uh, obviously there's been in the news this week that a referee got suspended for starting a women's football game with a game of rock paper scissors, and I thought that'd be yeah. fantastic. Yeah, well, well, you could do something like rock paper scissors, and then you'd start hiring players based on how good they were at rock paper scissors. It, it could be the new enforcer wow. for hockey. Uh, it's all it's all up there, mate. Well, uh, Steve, your podcast is a bit more sensible, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is a bit more sensible, but I just suddenly realised if they did do that, there is a job for me in hockey at last. If they, if they I know, that's what we that, thought. Like... We thought, this is it. This is our way in. <laughs> yeah, I could actually you know, make a living uh, at doing this. But yeah, no, um, my hockey podcast, yes, is... Uh, is is a little bit more sensible, shall we say? Well, I think it is anyway. But yeah, I do the Women's Hockey Digest, where um, I speak to players from the NWHLPA in the um, United States uh, Women's Ho- Hockey League out there. So we have players on all the time to be able to not only talk about hockey, but talk about their personal lives and anything else, and get the fans a chance to get to know them a bit more outside of hockey, and also alongside that. You'll probably catch me on one radio station or another talking hockey or one other American sport, whether it be the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. I like to say probably I have an opinion on just about everything. So, yeah, you'll probably hear me on one thing or another. And who'd have thought that we all have normal jobs as well as doing this hockey thing, hey? It's a nightmare, isn't it? If only we could just get a job full time talking hockey, maybe one day. We can dream. We could play. It's, it's, it's just been said. We could play. Jesus. No. <laughs> Come on, Claire. Give I it can't ice skate. Nor can I, but it'll be. we don't yeah. need you to play rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> i tell you what, let's settle this the only way we know how. Rock, paper, scissors. How did oh, you do that? We all just had to say it at the same time. Listen, I haven't thought of all the details yet. You know, I'm an <laughs> okay. ideas man. After three, you've got to say what you're gonna say. Okay. What you're gonna do? One, right. two, three. Rock. Paper. Paper. I boo. Think we just beat Steve. I didn't know what Steve said. Yeah, I rock. Steve said rock. Yeah, boo. So we've won, Claire. Well done, us. Well, I use cardboard though, so that's stronger than your piece of paper. Touche. It's been a delight, guys. Thank you for having time to talk hockey on this uh, wet, windy, cold, wintry Tuesday evening. Uh, have a cracking week and hope your teams do all right but as we always say not too well eh see you later